Thank you for joining us at LifePoint Church in Lakeland, Florida. In today's podcast, we will hear from Pastor Brady Brinson on his series titled, What the World Needs. Be sure to keep listening after we hear from Pastor Brady, we will have more important information to share with you. Now, let us tune in and hear Pastor Brady's message on godliness. What a great day, isn't it? It didn't start that way. Left late, left my phone, caught a train, and then I got here and my notes that you're holding were only printed on one side, so it was going terrible, but so you better use it. We went through a lot to get that to you this morning. I'm happy because all my kids are here, all my kids under one roof, you know, it's nice again, and plus one. Uh, my daughter Natalie and her husband Luke are visiting from Texas. <laughs> Sam is still here from California. Uh, Adriana and Marissa uh, from over there about two miles, they made it all the way. It's wonderful to have a family, isn't it? Oh, Jeremiah, where is he? I forgot about him. That's when you know you have too many kids. <laughs> Don't tell him. He's not in here. So. I want to speak to you guys this morning on this subject, um, what the world needs now. In the 1960s, as you well know, our country was in turmoil um, politically, um, there was social upheaval, things were changing, most of them not for the good. When we were at war, so there were protests in the streets, things weren't good. In 1965, there was a song that came out, sung by Jackie DeShannon. Anybody ever heard of her? Not me either. Anyway, she released a song by that title, What the World Needs Now. It was later sung by Dionne Warwick. You've heard of her. And the song says, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. Not just for some, but for everyone. Isn't that sweet? And we do need love. They needed love then, and we need love now. You fast forward 57 years from that year, and the world is in greater need than ever for love. The world definitely does need love, but it's not the only thing that we need not, not by a far piece. We need peace. We need compassion. The world needs understanding. The world needs forgiveness and humility and a moral compass and kindness and acceptance and trust and hope, and community, and wisdom, and contentment, and sacrifice. All of those things the world needs, 
And the only source of all of those things is God. And so what the world needs now is God. And he is coming back and he will bring all those things all of those things with him when he does. And all of those things once again will characterize the world. The whole list. But he's not here yet. He's here in spirit, but he's coming back in person and things will change. But for now, the world is in great need and the world needs God. The closest thing to God that we have in the world right now are people who are like God. People who embody and personify and display and mirror God. People who reflect the character of God. People who are like God. You could say God-like people. You could say godly people. But what's a godly person? A godly person is someone who has godliness. And Second Peter, he warned the church, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God. And that was a long, long time ago. And we're still waiting for the day of God. But even then, he said, the world needs holiness and godliness, holy conduct, and godliness as we wait for the day of God. So I think you would probably agree with me that the world needs God, and the world needs godliness in the world. But what does that mean? The word godliness, four definitions. One, to live in the reverence and awe of God, to be so conscious of God and his presence, you're living as if God were living through you. Number two, a godly person seeks to gain a consciousness of God's presence. So intense that they begin to emanate God's qualities and the character of God. You could say God consciousness. Three, godliness refers to a very practical awareness of God's fulfillment of his will in my life. Four, godliness is being totally dedicated to God, to his worship, and to the fulfillment of his will. One would say about a godly person that they think about God. They talk about God. They act like God. And that is displayed in those things I mentioned earlier, in kindness, in patience, love, forgiveness, etc. Godliness is one of those things it's, it's hard to describe, but you know it when you see it. Can you picture in your mind someone when I say a godly person? I think we all have someone that comes to mind that in our past or maybe in our present. And so the world needs godliness, and we are the carriers 
of godliness, potentially. So I want to give you some principles of godliness. I think it's important that we know these things, and more importantly, that we live these things. So on that outline that was a lot of trouble to get you, you can take that out and write down uh, some notes. So maybe you'll remember this a little bit more. Number one, godliness is seen in public, but nurtured in private. It's seen publicly, but it's nurtured privately. Now, we come to church, that's a public act. We worship together in this place, and that's a public act. And that has value, great value. But private worship is essential to godliness. Essential. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Nothing wrong with praying in public unless you're doing it so someone will see you and think something about you. But Jesus, he knew that would be a problem for us to make our godliness a public act. But he said, when you pray, go into a private place. And in a private place, you are there with God and only God. It's a meeting of two people. Psalm 1611 Speaking to the Lord, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy. Where? In your presence. We are filled with joy when we are in the presence of God, or it's a potential filling of joy. And notice that in the presence of God is where he makes known to me the path of life. We can ask advice of people that we respect and love. But no one knows the path of life like God does. He knows the path and he's there to show me how to live in that path. Godliness is seen in public but nurtured in private. Number two, godliness, quote unquote, can be inauthentic. Godliness can be inauthentic. Notice in the quotes there, in 2 Timothy 3, 5, Timothy, or Paul describes people having a form of godliness but denying its power. The word form refers to an outward shape or appearance. A form of godliness or an outward shape of godliness an appearance of godliness. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23 in his scathing rebuke of the Pharisees, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the, in, the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Outside looks fine, Inside, filthy. 
outside godly, inside ungodly. And he called people who appear to be godly, but they're not hypocrites. Matthew 6, he says, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to stand in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by people. A person who tries to appear to be godly publicly is a hypocrite. And if you want to be seen by people and you are, in fact, seen by people, you have your reward. That's what you wanted, and so that's what you have, but nothing more. Godliness can be inauthentic. Number three, godliness must be pursued. Godliness must be pursued. First Timothy 6.11, pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness. It's something that we go after with gusto. That's what it means to chase after something. To pursue it. Pursue it. Think about that. That as we're living in our life, in our de- daily, regular life, whatever we're doing, in the context of, of that, what, what you just pictured as your day, in the context of that, we are to be pursuing godliness, pursuing righteousness, going after it. And it should First pursuit, as followers of Christ, our first pursuit. What does that mean? That means that to be godly, to truly have godliness, God must be first in my life. God doesn't take second place. He never has. He never will. And so if we are living our life in such a way that he's not first in my life, I can't be in the will of God because his will for me is for him to have first place. Godliness is one of those things that you won't have unless you pursue it and go after it. Number four, pursuing godliness means fleeing ungodliness. There's two actions to being godly. As we said, it's, it's to pursue godliness, but part of pursuing godliness is fleeing ungodliness. We can't be both. We can't have both operating in our lives. It doesn't work. And so to pursue righteousness and godliness means to be fleeing ungodliness. We're running towards something and running away from something else. In the message translation of, well, 1 Timothy 6.11, Paul said to Timothy, but you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness and godliness. In the context, all this is Greed and a pursuit of money as your first pursuit. 
He says, run for your life. The message translation. You, Timothy, man of God, run for your life from all this and pursue a righteous life. As we draw near to God, we distance ourselves from all rivals. Godliness is addition and subtraction. It has to be. As we pursue godliness, we flee unrighteousness. And we know what that is. We know what those things are in our lives. We could write them down right now, the things in our lives that we know aren't God-honoring. They're unrighteous. Or in and of themselves, they're good, but they're in the wrong place. They're first and second and third, and God's somewhere down the list. It makes those things that are good, evil. Pursuing godliness means that we flee ungodliness. Number five, godliness requires discipline. And most people hate discipline. No one likes to be disciplined on a diet because you're tef- you have to tell yourself and what you really want, no. We don't like to be told no. To be a healthy person, we exercise, and exercise takes discipline. It means we tell our flesh what's going to happen. We allow the Spirit of God to be in charge and not our desires. Godliness requires discipline. In 1 Timothy 4.7, Paul said, Train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. Paul uses an athletic term there. A training athlete must say no. I remember reading the stories and hearing the, the stories of Olympians and how they get to where they are, how they get to be so good at what they do that they represent their country on a world stage. In story after story after story of those people, their story is about telling themselves no, disciplining themselves for that one thing, disciplining themselves from having fun a lot of times. Disciplining themselves from things they want to eat and things they want to do. Sacrifice. It requires discipline. There's a price to godliness. It's not cheap. There is always a price for godliness. It's never on sale. It requires discipline. Are you disciplined And I mean about the things of God. When you wake up in the morning, what's first on your agenda? Is it time with God? Is it carving out that part of your day to be alone with God? If that's not happening at all, then we are not disciplined. 
in a way that we will become godly. It doesn't just happen. If we want to carry the name of God in a, in a real way and represent God in a true way in this world, it's going to take discipline. It's going to take some work on our part. It doesn't happen by itself. It requires discipline. And this is probably one of the reasons why the world or our churches are in the shape that they are because they're filled with people who are very undisciplined. They, they don't do the things, the means of grace that God has given us like prayer and scripture and those things that will draw us closer to God. If we want to be godly, we have to discipline ourselves. It's just the fact. Train yourself to be godly. Every day should look like, you know, a day in which we are going through the efforts of becoming godly. It requires discipline. Number six, the word of God is mandatory for godliness. We can never become godly unless his truth is made real in us, right? A godly person is one who understands God's mind and, and meditates on his truth so that we can live that truth. That's what the world needs is people who are living the truth of God. And to have that truth in us, it's the word of God that does that. Because that's his truth, nothing else. The word of God is indispensable to godliness. Titus 1.1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Those last words, truth that leads to godliness. Without the truth, there is no godliness. The truth, God's truth, his revealed truth, the way things really are, the truth about life, about everything in my life. There's falsehoods and there's truths. And we measure that by scripture. It has to be a part of our life. Again, we're so overwhelmingly blessed that we have things to do. We have places to go. We have hobbies. We have so many distractions. And in the way, people who live now are at a huge disadvantage when it comes to spiritual life. People of old they didn't have the distractions that we have. They didn't have some of the amenities that we have. They didn't have um, some of the good things that we enjoy. But one good thing is they didn't have a lot of things to distract them. So when a preacher would get up and say to the crowd back then, you know, put away all of these things that are distracting you. And they were like, what? We don't have anything. It's easier to focus when you have less choices. But we are living when we are, 
And we have the internet, and we have these forms of entertainment, and we have places to go, and we have things to do, and we neglect the truth that must be a part of our life. It's not a thing that we learn once and, go, and then go. It's something that we continuously learn. We continuously meditate on God's truth. Without it, we are ungodly. As I was studying this and thinking about godliness, <clears throat> I began to realize that I had gradually become feeling a little sad, a sinking feeling as I read the definitions of what it, what it really means to be a godly person. Because God showed me how ungodly I can be. So far from what he wants for me, that can be discouraging. If you truly understand God's standard and you're honest about yourself, there's a huge gap often and it can be discouraging. And the reality is we can't be godly. It's not in our power. So number seven is important. Godliness is another way of saying God in us. God and God alone is the source of godliness. God and God alone is the source of holiness and righteousness. Only God has that. Nothing else, no one else has it. He's the only source for it. And so for me and you to be a godly person, God has to do it. He has to do it in me. He has to do it through me. That's the only way. Galatians 4.19, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Christ is formed in you. True godliness is God's activity in the Christian who is living a surrendered life. Isn't it all about surrender? Isn't it all about control? Who's in charge? I mean, the, Lord, the word Lord itself means boss. Is he Lord? Is he boss of your life? Is he boss of my life? Is he calling the shots? True godliness is God's activity in a Christian who is living a surrendered life. We must give God his way in us. Give God the place in our lives where he decides what I'm going to do. He decides what I'm going to say. He decides what I'm going to look at because he's in charge. That's surrendered, being surrendered to his will. Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Paul understood 
what the crucifixion meant for him. It meant that when he entered faith in Christ, he entered also into crucifixion. I have been crucified with Christ. Not just Christ has been crucified, but I have too because I am in Christ. And when you're crucified, you're dead. Paul understood what it means to be dead in Christ. We no longer live. It's him doing the living. And that is really what true godliness is. The people that you think about when you think about a godly person, that person was surrendered to God's will. They were holy and godly because they weren't running things. God was a part, not just a part of their life, but was in charge of their life. Have you been crucified? Well, if we're in Christ, we have. Because our sins have been forgiven. And we join Christ in the crucifixion life. But sometimes we act like we're not. We come to life and begin doing what we want. Going where we want thinking what we want, saying what we want, watching what we want. That life is not surrendered, and it's not godly. It can't be. So what the world needs now is God. And we are the only hope of the world. We're the only hope that God can be here. It's Christ living in me and living in you. The world is a wicked, wicked place. More so than we realize. We're like frogs in the kettle. You know, we've been in the water as it's warmed up gradually. And we, don't, we don't even notice things. I, I think that if you plucked out a person out of the first century, one of the Christians out of the first century, and plopped them down in 2022, they couldn't imagine the ungodliness of the world. We've gotten used to it. The world is a, a sinful, sinful place. It's corrupt. It's completely ungodly. It was created perfectly. God created man perfectly. God created the earth and the world perfectly. That was his design. That was his intent. The world was godly. Adam was godly. Eve was godly. Everything that God made was godly. But it became ungodly because of man's rebellion. Sin entered the world and everything became ungodly. Everything. Everything that's not controlled by God is ungodly. Our world desperately needs godly people. Mulberry, Plant City, 
Lakeland, you know, the metroplex of this place, needs godly people. Our church needs godly people. Without, if we don't have godly people in this church, this church is doomed. The church needs godly people. Your family needs a godly person. If you're a father, you need to be a godly father. Your kids desperately need a godly father. And they need a godly mother. And wherever you work, that environment needs God. How's God going to be there? Through you. Through me. As Christ is formed in me and I live my life as if he were living it, godliness is possible. Godliness exudes from me and from you. If we don't do it, no one can. And the world is doomed. The world, as we know, is a dark, dark place. And the only light in the world is God in us. Is God in us, making us godly and bringing light to a very dark situation. So what the world needs now is God. Does it need peace? Yes. Does it need compassion? Yes. Does it need understanding? Yes. Forgiveness? Yes. Humility? For sure. The moral compass? Absolutely. Kindness? Trust and hope and community and wisdom and contentment and sacrifice, all of those things are God. He's the only source of those things. And he has entrusted to us. He's allowed us to continue to live in this place for a reason. I mean, we're all saved and positionally we're already in heaven. My citizenship is in heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven. It's, you're practically there. That's what's going to happen. So why wouldn't God just take us now? God loves the world. He, he's, he loved the world. Jesus said that. For God so loved the world. Those are the words of Jesus speaking about his father and letting people know, listen, God loves the world. God loves this world, and that hasn't changed. God still loves this world. And I'm sure that when God sees what's happening in this world, it grieves him. And so God left us here for a reason. God left us here, alive, living, walking around, interacting with people for a reason. And that reason is that we can bring God to them. We can bring God to where you work. You can bring God to your family. You can bring God to wherever you are. That's what it means to be godly. And the world needs godliness more than ever. So I challenge you, as I challenge myself, 
to pursue godliness. Pursue godliness. If we don't pursue it, we won't find it. So whatever that looks like in your life, what does it look like in your life to pursue godliness? Decide that that's what you want to do. Decide that's what you want to be. And go after it. And be, be the light that we, we all need in this world. Let's pray. God, thank you for the, this day. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the family that we have. Lord, I pray that you will help us to really want to live a godly life. Help us, God, because godliness is not our real pursuit right now. So many other things we are pursuing. We must confess that. We confess to you, Lord, that we have not pursued godliness the way that you want us to. So we confess it is sin and we confess to you that that's the reality. But Lord, we don't want to just confess. We want to repent. We want to turn from our way that we're going and go the other way, start living differently. And we can't do it without you. And so we surrender ourselves to you. And we ask you, Lord, to run our lives. God, show us we are thinking, saying, doing things that don't lead to godliness. Convict us and may we respond to your spirit as you lead us. Lord, we worship you today. Help us to worship you every day as we leave this place. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for tuning into our podcast today. We hoped you were able to connect with the gospel through Pastor Brady's message. We would love to hear from you and connect with you. You can find us on the web at lplakeland.com. That is lplakeland.com. We can also be found on Facebook and YouTube. To find us on Facebook, simply go to facebook.com slash LifePoint Church Lakeland. LifePoint Church Lakeland is all one word. To find us on YouTube, simply search for LifePoint Church Lakeland. On YouTube, LifePoint Church Lakeland is three separate words. We broadcast live to Facebook and YouTube every Sunday. We also have our own app available on both the Apple Store and Google Play Store. To find our app, simply search for the LifePoint Church app. Again, that is the LifePoint Church app. You will be able to distinguish our app from others by looking for our distinctive blue cathedral icon. Tune in again next week as we hear another inspiring podcast from LifePoint Church in Lakeland, Florida. Today's podcast was a production of LifePoint Church.